Welcome to the Old Galway Diary podcast. Each week, my colleague Tom Kenny and myself, Ronnie O'Gorman, produce a page in the Galway Advertiser with Tom's photograph and a story from Galway's past. We contact each other beforehand to see what has been published that week. And our podcast today is That Conversation. Tom, hi, hi, hello again. Good morning, Ronnie. Yeah, I am continuing the Seamus O'Byrne saga (laughs) this week. Yes. I found out a little bit more about his play and Doctor. I got a little synopsis of the plot and something of the reception it received and so on. So I'm kind of stuck on Seamus for a while. Actually, I think he deserves it. He's a very interesting man. He does. Generous men. You know, sometimes you get people that are generous with their talents, and he certainly was. So what are you doing, Tom, this week? Um, Well, (coughs) it's 80 years since the corporation, (coughs) excuse me, since the corporation handed over the keys of Galway Jail to the bishop. So that is my photograph this week is of the county manager, uh, not manager, I beg your pardon, the chairman of the county council, Eamon Corbett, handing over the keys of the jail to the bishop. So essentially mine is a brief history a very brief, really, headlines of jails in Galway and then the handing over. Yeah. Tom, I remember that building. I re- I'm old enough to remember the walls of the jail. <laughs> yes, they were extremely intimidating. Weren't they? they were just? over 12 feet high, yeah. yeah. The, the, and the jail, of course, itself, the, it was built at the beginning of the 19th century. There were two jails, in fact, originally. There was the county jail and the city jail. There had been a number of locations in the city for the jail. Uh, there was one in Abbeygate Street. Blake's Castle at the bottom of Key Street was one. They were all very small and they were all very unsatisfactory. Mm. And so eventually they built uh, this was a purpose built building on a very large site on Nuns Island. Excuse me. And um, <clears throat> there they were two separate jails. One was the city, one was the county. Oh. So in December 1810, the first prisoners were uh, transferred from the old to the new town jail. And then the following year, the county jail opened. Uh, they were separated again by a big wall. But the whole thing was surrounded by this very intimidating wall, as you say, yeah. over over 12 foot high. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, it continues there. Uh, as a prison right up until uh, the end of the 1930s. Right. Uh, but at that stage, there were a lot of complaints about uh, conditions there, overcrowding sometimes, sanitary conditions, the threat of disease, mm. all of that kind of yeah. thing. And yeah. uh, and so, and anyway, it was becoming a little bit redundant. Um, right. Joe Young at an urban council meeting said, sure, <clears throat> Sure, there's hardly much business. There were only four <laughs> drunks sent to Galway Jail in 1924. <laughs> good, good. So obviously, uh, <laughs> only four drunks in one year is bad for business, bad business. In, in a prison. Yeah. <laughs> but well, uh, I'll tell you a story, Tom, if I may interrupt you there for a moment. <clears throat> Miles Joyce 
was one of the yeah. poor innocent victims that yes, was hanged in the Mamtrasser yeah. murders. And it was always said that his ghost uh, walked the corridors of that prison. Now, I just remember a story. I was a small boy. My dad brought me down to see them take down the walls. They were taking down the walls uh, of, the, of that prison. And my yeah. dad said, we'll watch out for Miles Joyce's ghost. I always remember that. <laughs> right. Needless well, to funnily, say, we didn't see Miles Joyce. Funnily enough, yeah. uh, Ronnie, in the early days of the old Galway column, and that's at least 40 years ago, <clears throat> there was a lady called Mrs. Linsky who lived on Bridge Street. Ah. And it, it was her 100th birthday. And so with the family's permission, I went there with Jimmy Welch, the late Jimmy Welch, the photographer, uh, about 10.30 in the morning, and I interviewed her. Jimmy took the photograph, and she was my column that week. And I asked her what her earliest memory was, and she said it was kneeling on the Salmonweir Bridge with a lot of clad women, and we were all praying. And I, what, what is this about? I, how do you know they were clad of women? I can still see the triangles of shawl as they knelt on the bridge, she oh, said. That's, that's very interesting. Yeah. And what were you praying for? Oh, there was some poor fella. Um, I think Joyce was his name. They were going to kill him the next day. Mm. Yeah. And she was talking about Ma'am Tresla. She was actually talking. She was that's praying for Miles Joyce. Mm. I got the shock of my life. She was about three and a half years of age oh, at the time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's there was a link impact to on a child. It would impact on a of child. Of course, you know. Yes, and indeed the images, the triangles yes. of Shaw. That's very, I, mean, I that's thought that was very interesting. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, that she yeah, identified them as clad women. I'm sure that's true. Um, yeah. That's yeah, a very yeah. good Yeah. Well, a lot of them would have yeah. been Connemara women as well who had yeah. come in from. Man, yeah. Tresna. But it, Miles, poor Miles was one of the, the famous prisoners there. He was totally uh, not, innocent, totally innocent. He was, yeah, yeah. Well, the whole thing was a sham. Anyway. Oh, it was disgraceful. You know. <clears throat> yeah, it was. Disgraceful. Yeah. Yeah, it was disgraceful. William Smith O'Brien was another, after whom O'Brien's Bridge is named. He was a prisoner. Oh. And he wrote a book called When We Were Boys, uh, while he was in prison there. And then the other kind of big name was... Um, William Scarwin Blunt. Yes, Gold Blunt, you're right, yes. Yeah, he yeah. was an English aristocrat who uh, organised protests against evictions down in South Galway. And he was a great friend of Lady Gregory's. Yeah. In fact, I think he was a very great friend of Lady Gregory's, but that's Tom, another no. day's he work. <coughs> no dispersions. <laughs> no, no. Anyway, uh, uh, yeah, so this yes. was the handover and uh, for... For a nominal fee of £10, the corporation, uh, they were the successors of the grand jury. And it was the, the ownership of the former prison was, in fact, in, in the hands of the grand jury. And as successors to those county council, uh, Bishop Brown made representations to the council suggesting that maybe uh, this would be an ideal site for a cathedral. And so it was handed over for a nominal sum of £10. Yes. Uh, some concern was expressed at the time about the houses that were located at the back of the jail. In other words, on the canal. There were four houses there uh, that belonged to staff from the jail, mostly. Yes. Uh, 
but um, the corporate or councillors were ensure, informed that the bishop had some very nice plans for the area drawn up by an architect. Now, they didn't suspect that that meant that the houses would be demolished, but <laughs> that's what happened in the end. Right. Okay. Okay. Well, it, it is a, a lovely location. There's no question. And a, a, oh, yeah. A great location no, no question. for the cathedral. Yeah. There's yeah. no question. Yeah, that's very yeah. interesting now. Yes. Um, well, <laughs> Anyway, I'm very pleased you're working on Seamus O'Byrne because I think he's one oh, of I'm the kind of now. under yeah. the radar heroes yeah. of Galway. Well, I had a little week. postscript to what I wrote last week because I mentioned that the O'Malley families, there were several O'Malley families right. in the Mam Valley at Kilmilkin yeah. area. Shannon yes. area of the MAM and wonderful Irish speakers, of course, who set up their own hedge schools. And uh, just by chance, I was speaking to Paddy Cunningham of Dangan Nurseries. And uh, he said he remarked on the fact that I had mentioned that. No, he said, I, I distantly related to them. He said, he said, would you know, he said, would you believe that today and we're counting the number of doctors and teachers of medicine that came from descended from the that um, those hedge schools, two hedge schools, back in 1909, are 64 doctors and teachers of medicine to date, and he said we're still counting. Wow, that's wonderful. An extraordinary. Um, that's wonderful, isn't it? Yeah. Explosion yeah. of O'Malley's on the on yeah. the medical world. You know, it really yeah. was. Paddy told me that, in fact, um, uh, his mother uh, was Finnish. Her name was Elsie, and her, her sister, Ulla, and the two girls, Elsa and Ulla, had taken a very uh, active part in what is known as the Winter War, 1939. Believe it or not, the Soviet Union invaded Finland. And the whole country resisted fiercely and surprised the Soviet Union. Imagine the size of the Soviet Union compared to small Indeed, Finland yeah. and its small army. But nevertheless, it held back the Soviets for some time. But afterwards, of course, the Soviets, you know, infiltrated in all kinds of ways. The two girls came to, to, to Ireland. Um, Elsa, who was uh, Paddy's uh, mother, married um, uh, Paddy... Uh, Paddy, what's yeah. his name? Paddy Con Cunningham. Paddy Cunningham, that's right, who worked yeah. in yeah. McNamara's. And Ula married uh, Patrick O'Malley out in the Mam Valley. And her sons all became doctors. So kind of the yeah. whole thing, you know, it was a lovely kind of addendum yeah. to the article. I was very pleased to hear <coughs> that. Yeah. Seamus O'Byrne himself, actually, he married an O'Malley. He married Sabina O'Malley. They had ten children, three of whom became doctors. So, my goodness, yeah, right. it's wonderful, really. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. yeah absolutely. Yeah. Well, as I say, he, it was his energy and his vision uh, and his persistence that um, established the Tyviark in Galway at the time. And when you consider it, 1928, you know, uh, yeah. just immediately after the Civil War. Indeed. It was quite a remarkable thing to be able to do yes. and manage, and uh, and the fact that it's still there, oh, very it's wonderful! Much so. and it's indeed, a gem of a theatre, Tom. It really it is a little gem, yeah. physically yeah. a beautiful, beautiful theatre, right yeah. in the heart of Galway, actually, in the very middle of town. Yeah, and it's coming up to its centenary, mm -hmm. and to have survived a hundred years as an Irish language 
yeah. theater. Now, primarily, I mean, in the last 20, 30 years, but uh, uh, up until, I'm not quite sure when, they began to introduce English productions. There would have been a very occasional touring Abbey play or something there for a couple of nights, uh, but otherwise it was all Irish. And so it was a very important and significant part of the betterment and survival, if you like, of the Irish language no in question. Galway City. No question. And it encouraged yeah. translations as well, which was very interesting. Maura Stafford, uh, an outstanding example, the late Maura. She was. Uh, Sean O'Cara, that's right. You know, uh, I mean, they really were wonderful. They had no uh, naivety about what they would translate. I mean, they translated great Italian operas into Irish. And sang right. them to their heart's content. I mean, it really was. Yeah, yeah. They were yeah. fearless, fearless, um, I tell you. Fearless in the, er, in the early days, Liam O'Brien, Professor Liam O'Brien, yes. who was a major pillar of the Tyvark over many years, he was another very important translator. And uh, it was he who translated uh, Waiting for God. Oh. Uh, a brave man in, to in, do that. Uh, well, but he didn't do it all. He decided that the two tramps were natives and that they would speak Irish, but that the other two were interlopers, foreigners, and they wouldn't. So Sean O'Cara uh, finished the translation and um, he had a terrible time with Lucky's speech, as you can imagine. Uh, very difficult in English, never mind in Irish. Indeed, indeed. Uh, but anyway, and it was funny, and then it was directed by Alan Simpson, who didn't have a word of Irish. Oh, that's great. Uh, yeah. But he, he knew the play virtually off by yeah. heart, and in advanced rehearsals, he would stop the cast, say, what? Yes. Go back. Two lines. What did you say there? Yeah. And we would translate, and he'd say, oh, no, that's not what's in the script. Yes. Now, the differences he made were very subtle, but we had to write them into the script, uh, but so the the final bit of translation was a man who did not have a word of <laughs> Irish, uh, but who understood the rhythm and uh, etc. of the play. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yes, we should be very grateful to yeah. Seamus O'Byrne. I'm just thinking of a, a, a plot for a play, Tom. The night that um, Samuel Beckett came to Galway and went to see Waiting for Godot at the Tyviark Theatre in Irish. <laughs> Well, he wrote to me, interestingly. Ah, uh, you're joking. He wrote to me, yes. He mm-hmm. asked if there were a recording made of the play. There you go. And Come on. There, there was. Now, there was one microphone put in the centre of the stage. So what you could hear was clip, 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 clip. Yeah, I know, yeah. You know, there was this lovely distorted sound. Anyway, I sent him the tapes and he sent me a very nice letter by reply. But many years later, this middle-aged Englishman came into the shop and he, or into the gallery and he said, that portrait of Sam upstairs is the best I have ever seen. Oh. But the artist never met him. And I said, uh, how do you know that? <coughs> and he said, he told me a story about sitting down with Beckett over a couple of drinks in Paris and he started to tell a story which in fact was a white lie and Beckett just stared at him (laughs) and he kept going with the story but in the end Beckett terrified him with this stare so he kind of had to wave the white flag and admit 
Yes. He obviously knew Beckett quite well, intimately, yes. and so I introduced myself to this man in order to get his name from him. Yeah. In fact, he, he was Beckett's publisher. Oh. But he, he said to me, oh, you're the man who sent him the tapes. Ah, yeah, Tom, that's such a good story. And I said, oh, that is God, such a good geez, story. that's a long, long time ago. Yeah. I did, yeah. yeah. He loved them, he said. Yeah. He loved them. He played them again and again and oh. again. I said, Beckett, I, I, you know, I've read somewhere that there are only three Irish language words in his entire published work. Mm. And he said, well, he mightn't have been able to write much, but he could understand quite a lot. And he loved the rhythm and the musicality of the play in Irish. Well, that's just wonderful. Well, Tom, that's just wonderful now. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm delighted to hear that. Um, I, I just made the, of the, the plot for the play, but I think the play is already written. The following <laughs> letters in your gallery. But I'll just tell you that the Beckett's stare was something to, to be wondered at because, yeah. um, believe it or not, Tygo Sullivan, uh, the late Tygo Sullivan, was the uh, Irish ambassador to Paris on his yeah. last appointment. He was a cousin of mine and I looked him up one time and I, he very generously, we went to Fouquet's restaurant and we dined and wined and we talked about this, that and the other. And he told me a story about that every international match that was played in Paris, which was the French versus Ireland, the, yeah. the embassy was opened to Irish visitors first of all for the match but anybody you know who was passing yeah. to come in and to have a chat and a cup of tea and probably something stronger and they used to always invite uh, Samuel Beckett and they lived in fear of him accepting the invitation because <laughs> on, the, on the few occasions that he did he would simply lean against the wall and stare <laughs> that's wonderful that's wonderful. I, I, have been in, I have been in that embassy after a game, actually. Myself. There you go. Yeah, there you yeah, go. yeah. There you that's go. wonderful. Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay, Tom. Well. And of course, you know, Tygo Sullivan acted in the Tyverk as well. Did he really? Yeah. yeah. He was a jazz, a jazz lad, he told me. He was, yeah. He learned his play acting in the school. I have photographs of him acting in the school play. That's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he, he served in the, the the great embassies of the world actually washington he served he in moscow and yep. um you know he, he has full of stories great stories then he yep. retired and he he wrote a book i think he had a boat on the river nor and um he wrote a book about that whether it was the, yep. the three rivers now there or not i'm not sure and then he died uh, unexpectedly when he was looking forward to a long retirement, which he felt earned, yeah. and he had earned it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he had, he had, yeah. he had. Yeah. He was a lovely man.